Welcome to be dismissed to Children's Church. While they're doing that, if you want to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 29. A word of warning as we talk about anger this morning. This is a particular subject on which I am not an expert. And by that I mean I do not know how to deal wisely with anger in my own life. So I'm coming to you as someone who's learning with you, who is preaching this to himself. And there's much that Proverbs has to say about anger and wrath and the consequences thereof. We're going to be looking at a number of different verses, but we're going to start with this verse, chapter 29, verse 22. This is the word of God. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we believe in your Holy Spirit. We believe in your Holy Spirit. It's because we believe in your Holy Spirit that we can hope to hear from you this morning. And so we ask that that would be true, that you would use your Spirit, that you would use your Word to speak into our hearts, speak into our emotions that we would understand anger and how you would have us address it in our lives. Do what we ask, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's this wonderful book by David Pallison called Good and Angry. Maybe you remember we did a Sunday school on this a few years ago. Uh, It's a fantastic book. You can tell I I like it because the cover started to, to wear off there. I would highly recommend anyone to read it, whether or not you think you have an issue with anger. He starts off the book by describing angry people and sort of the the underlying problem of anger, Uh, but then he he does this interesting thing in the second chapter, and I want to read the whole second chapter to you, so bear with me. The entire second chapter goes like this. Chapter two, do you have a serious problem with anger? Yes. That's the whole second chapter. Do you have a serious problem with anger? Yes. Just just so you know, you can't read it. Do you have a serious problem with anger? Yes. This is a truth that we may not want to admit. You may think to yourself, well, I don't get angry. I'm not throwing chairs or punching holes in walls or screaming at people. But this book, the Proverbs, Scripture as a whole helps us to recognize that that is not what anger always looks like. Pallison puts it in his book by saying, other forms of anger that have the same DNA are complaining, brooding, irritability, bickering. Tim and Kathy Keller in their devotional on the Proverbs say that anger also shows up in someone who is habitually abrasive, critical, ungenerous, seldom affirming, undiplomatic, prone to harsh language or cutting humor to those who bristle easily when contradicted. Maybe that 
looks like you, one of those. Or maybe your problem with anger is that you don't get angry when you should. When things that deserve anger show up, they don't affect you. We see in Proverbs that the key to anger is not to not be angry. It's not that we just stop it. The key to, to wise anger is to have patient humility before God. To be wise in anger requires patient humility before God. As we look at anger this morning, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the heart of anger. What is at the core? What is at the the bottom of our anger? And then we're going to look at the danger of anger. What is the potential pitfalls that anger presents us with? And then we're going to look at what it means to slow our anger. The heart of anger, the danger of anger, and the slowing of anger. First, the heart of anger. We saw in Matthew chapter 5, which we read earlier, that Jesus ties anger to the heart. It's not just the, the physical manifestations that throw up. It's not just when murder comes into play. But, he says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Jesus takes this out from the external world we're used to dealing with our sins. Oh yeah, I can put on a good face and brings it into the heart to help us recognize that sin goes deep and anger is no exception. But that doesn't mean that that anger is itself sinful. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. This means that it is possible to be angry and to not sin. It is possible to be angry in a God-glorifying way. It is possible to have anger, but to not transgress God. And we see this a number of times in Scripture, most notably in the life of Jesus. In John chapter 2, Verses 14 through 17. Before the Passover, it says that in the temple, he found those. Jesus found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there. And then it says, making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And then his disciples, remember what was written. Zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus was angry. He was furious. But, but also notice that, that he went and he made a whip of cords. Right? He didn't go to Walmart and pick up a whip of cords. He went and he braided, he made this whip of cords. He was slow in his anger, and his anger was for for the house of the Lord. He was looking at the injustice of people taking advantage of those before God's worship. And he was looking at, at those who were polluting the temple of God with this commerce. And the, as the disciples recall, the prophet saying, zeal for your house will consume me. So Jesus was zealous for God's holiness and his 
presence and his temple. But he was also angry for his people. In Mark chapter 3, we read that, Mark chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, we read that he said to the teachers of the law, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. He asked them the question, Is it lawful? Is God okay with you doing good or evil on his day? And they were silent. And it says, And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Jesus sees this man whose, whose hand was withered in the synagogue, and he asks, Can I do good on the Lord's day? What does the Lord care about most? And when they can't answer from their own pride, he is angry at them. He's angry at their hardness of heart. And so Jesus was angry, and his anger was not only not sinful, but it was motivated by the right and proper things. It was motivated by a love and a care for for God's people. It was motivated by a love and a zeal for God's holiness and his presence. And we can see in this that, that anger is not just an emotion that happens to us. David Pallison defines anger this way. Active displeasure towards something that's important enough to care about. Active displeasure towards something that's important enough to care about. The anger isn't just an emotion that happens upon us, like a baseball through a window. Oh, I didn't expect that. Anger is an active thing that we do, and it's reflective of of displeasure. We think something is important, whether or not it actually is. We think something's important, and when it doesn't work out the way it should, we chafe against that. And that's where anger comes from. This is at the core of anger. And Jesus displays it well. This is why Charles Spurgeon said, a man who is never angry is not worth a button, which is kind of a funny image, right? You know, you've ever seen the, the jar of buttons that, that your grandmother had, right? Just, just toss them out. A man who is never angry is not worth a button. He must see bad things and respond in anger. But then he says, but remember, you have no right to be more angry with your neighbor than you are with yourself. And that's the difference between Jesus's righteous anger and ours. Jesus was motivated by the right thing. The things that he thought that were important enough to care about were truly important enough to care about. But us, we often mix our own sin. We often mix our own selfishness, our own idolatry into those things and saying, this is important enough to care about. This is important enough to get angry about. I'm going to do that. But that's not the case. And we see this in Proverbs. It says, jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. This jealousy, this, this thinking, I deserve that. That belongs to me, and it results in fury and anger. Now, often our anger comes from this, 
this overlove of something, this, this presumption that we deserve something, that if we just do the right things, we will get something. It comes from idolatry. It comes from fearing the wrong things. Maybe we're afraid of losing our job, losing a relationship, losing standing, losing the love, the affection, the affirmation, the identity that comes with these things. And so we respond by lashing out in an attempt to control and to right the ship and to make things work our way. And oftentimes it results in just the opposite. But anger can be good. Chapter 27, verse 4, it says, Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? And this jealousy can be a jealousy of something. I think I deserve that, and I'm envious when I don't get it. But God is also described as jealous. God is jealous for his people. God is jealous for his own praise. And it's that jealousy of God that, that undergirds, that, that, that surpasses even his wrath. God's not an angry God. God is a jealous God because he knows that he deserves praise. He deserves glory. He knows that he has bought his people. And when people turn away from him, it results in anger. In chapter 11, verse 23, it says, The desire of the righteous ends only in good, but the expectation of the wicked in wrath. And so God's wrath results in a good thing. Because if if you are righteous, if you are found in Christ, if you have a good standing before God, it will result in good. But the expectation of the wicked is wrath. We can look around at the wickedness and the evil in this world, and we can be distraught by it. But we can also recognize that that God's wrath is coming for it. That he is an avenging fire against all evil and unrighteousness. And when we look at the world and we look at injustice, we can know that God's anger will deal with this in an appropriate way, in in a more full way than we could ever hope to deal with it ourselves. So we can see that anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. Anger is just active displeasure towards something that's important enough to care about. But that doesn't mean there is not danger, especially when we consider our own anger. Chapter 29, verse 22, the verse we read at the beginning says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. The image here is of a a bowl or or something with stuff that flutters out and you stir it up and it goes everywhere and it just spreads. A man of wrath stirs up strife. Strife is going to go around and with him and spread out from him. It says one given to anger causes much transgression. doesn't specify what kind of transgression. One given to anger causes much transgression in his own self, in those around him, and this transgression is, is sin. It's an, it's an error towards God. We see that anger is destructive. Even God's anger is destructive as it destroys wickedness and injustice. But anger on our part is destructive as well. And it's part of why Proverbs doesn't, 
doesn't really address the core of anger. It doesn't address the, the why it's bad. It just talks about the potential effects because so great and grand and, and, and broad are the potential dangers of anger that we need to be warned and careful how to deal with it. Chapter 19, verse 19, it says, A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. This phrase, pay the penalty, can actually be translated, carry around his punishment. A man of great wrath will carry around his punishment. Wherever he goes, the punishment for his wrath will go with him. Which is why, if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Anger continually, repeatedly, regularly produces bad consequences for those who are characterized by it. I've heard it said that if you meet a jerk in the morning, you've met a jerk. But if you meet jerks all day long, wherever you go, you're the jerk. (laughs) A man of great wrath will carry around his punishment will pay the penalty. In chapter 21, verse 9, it says, it is better to live in a corner of the housetop, or in verse 19, it says, in a desert land. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop or in a desert land than in a house with a quarrelsome wife. If you imagine a housetop, right? This isn't like a roof. This is a flat housetop with a little little uh, railing around it, right? It's better to live in just one little corner than in a house with a spouse who is quarrelsome, right? It says wives, this applies to husbands too. Or it's better to live in the wilderness than in the same house with someone who is angry and prone to anger and wants to fight. The anger is particularly destructive to our relationships and the more intimate our relationships, the more destructive our anger will be to them. Elsewhere, in chapter 22, it says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. It's a given that a wrathful man, a man given to anger, will end up in a snare. But it's saying, don't go with him, or you will also end up in a snare. The company we keep shapes us. Right? When it says iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, that works for good and bad. Make no friendship with a man given to anger. Be careful the kinds of people you're surrounding yourself with, the kinds of, of people that you're giving, you're, you're looking to, to inform you, to support you, because their anger can result in yourself being entangled in a snare. In chapter 29, verse 8, we saw a couple weeks ago that scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. Scoffers set a city aflame. The scoffer, this one who thinks he is right in all things, who is who's arrogant in every degree, who when someone dares challenge him, is inflamed. He will set a city aflame. He will turn this community upside down and destroy it when he is angered. And the thing about fire is it's, it's much easier to start than it is to stop, unless you catch it early. 
So even our relationships have great danger when it comes to anger. And there's this interesting thread throughout the book of Proverbs talking specifically about the king or a ruler and his anger. In chapter 16, verse 14, it says, A king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. A king's wrath is a messenger of death. This idea that that the destruction that comes with anger, the destruction that comes with his wrath, is multiplied because of his power. And so we should be mindful in those situations where we have power, in those situations where we are in places of authority, positions of control, to be careful of our own anger, recognizing that the power and the authority and the control that we have can multiply the damage of our emotions. And and from a certain perspective, it, it makes sense why we don't want to address anger, why we kind of don't talk about it that much. Because anger can be useful. Anger can be effective. The, the danger of anger is because of the power that it has. Right? Screaming at someone and yelling at them can make them work harder, can make them obey. Right? The silent treatment can compel the behavior you want. Being aggressive Staring aggressively, speaking aggressively, can get someone to get out of your way, literally or figuratively. At a minimum, if I get angry and you get angry and we're both shamed because of it, well, at least we both got shamed. Anger can be useful and anger can be effective if for a time. If you've ever yelled at someone to compel obedience, how long did that last? If you've ever used the silent treatment, did that result in, in productive growth in that relationship? Chapter 30, verse 33, it says, For pressing milk produces curds. Pressing the nose produces blood. Pressing anger produces strife. These are all active things. Right? Pressing milk to make curds. Pressing a nose. Punching a nose to produce blood. And pressing anger produces strife. We can do these things, not on accident. We can lean into anger because it seems easier, but make no mistake, we are walking down the path of strife. It's not going to solve the problem. It's just going to bring about more strife. If we use anger for bad or sinful reasons, to achieve bad or sinful ends, we should not be surprised when it results in bad or sinful fruit. And it requires no skill to use anger this way. It doesn't require wisdom or power or intelligence to pursue anger, right? I've been in the room for the birth of all three of my children. A one-minute-old baby can be angry. (laughs) Anyone who has dealt with children who cannot speak yet, you have no question as to when they're angry. You don't have to be able to speak Anger is not the primary tool of anyone who is pursuing godliness, who is following after Christ. I said this last week, sometimes Jesus casting the money changers out of the temple is our favorite Jesus. I want to be like him. But that is not the primary tool that Jesus goes to. There's not a proliferation of examples of Jesus 
using anger. He does, and he does it righteously. But we should be careful when that is our first thought. Getting angry will solve this problem. Because of anger's power, Proverbs deals in a bunch of different ways with how to handle others' anger, how to manage your own anger. But it it doesn't address the core. It doesn't address the solution, at least not in an obvious sense. But it does talk about how to be slow to anger. This is the refrain throughout this book. To be slow to anger. To be mindful of our own anger. To be in control of it. Not primarily managing others, but primarily managing our own anger. Chapter 19, verse 11, it says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Good sense makes one slow to anger. If you are wise, if you're walking on this path of wisdom, as we've been talking about, it will make you slow to anger. And it is your glory to look, overlook an offense. This idea of this, it is a beautiful, high-quality, superior thing to overlook an offense, even after we follow after God, who is very patient with our offenses and merciful, even in the face of great sin. In chapter 29, verse 11, it says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. The image of the fool is of, a, of like a tornado or a hurricane who's just unleashed. There is no direction, coordination. Whatever gets in its path is going to be destroyed. It wrecks everything. But the wise man is not so. The wise man holds back his anger quietly. It's not that it's not there. The images of, of having a powerful animal trained to listen to its master, to not jump in at a moment's notice. He doesn't just check his anger, but he masters it. He understands it. He, he overcomes it, and he only uses it in an intentional way. In chapter 16, verse 32, it says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Those who are powerful, even the people who are, who are so powerful that they can conquer a city are inferior to the one who is slow to anger. They are inferior to the one who is not viscerally responding to every single provocation. Mastery of this comes through recognition that we are not as powerful as we think. That we cannot control the world around us. That we cannot control others in the way that we want to or hope to. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Often we can think of ourselves, if I just get angry enough and say the right thing or do this in the right way, then that will compel. That will, will take this thing that I am displeased with and make it the way it should be. But that's not the image that we are given in Scripture Chapter 20, verse 22, it says, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Here's a circumstance where evil is even on the table. Something wrong has been done. But it is wise to not say, I will repay it. Do not take that, that displeasure we have towards something that's important. And to lean into it and to be active in our anger. 
but instead to be patient and wait for the Lord, and he will deliver us. God's justice is certain. And, and the beautiful thing about God's justice is it is immensely, infinitely more effective than ours. It is immensely, infinitely more precise than ours. Because our anger often comes with collateral damage. But if we can accept that the Lord will deliver us and be patient for his deliverance, then this will keep us from all kinds of folly, all kinds of error, all kinds of sin. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's there addressing this idea that where is, when's God going to show up? When's he going to make all things right? Why isn't this happening right away? And Peter's saying he desires all should reach repentance. And so he's patient towards you. To be wise in anger requires this patient humility before God, recognizing who we are. I heard this wonderful definition of humility this week, that humility is being precisely the person you actually are before God. We have this image of humility as bowing down, throwing ourselves on the ground, considering ourselves worthless. But that's not really what humility is. Humility is, is being who we really are before God. It is true that we bring nothing to the table, that we are, were enemies of God, but it is also true that we are in Christ that he has bought and paid for us. And and coming to the Father, recognizing both of those things, is how to be humble. And so we can go to him in patience, recognizing that we're not in control. That even though in our anger we can think, maybe I can make this work. Maybe I can do this the way that I think it needs to be done. Maybe I can be in control. But no, we can turn to God and say, I can't do this. I cannot control my circumstances. I cannot control my world, no matter how furious I get. And so we can turn it over to him. And so we can follow what James chapter 1 describes. To let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, this word that's put into us, which is able to save your souls. Now here's the thing about Proverbs. I did the math, right? And about it's about two to one ratio, the number of Proverbs that deal with anger as a characteristic, as a way of being, versus dealing with the specific situation of anger. When we think about anger, it's who we are. As it said in chapter 29, verse 22, a man given to anger. There's tons of techniques out there to deal with anger, right? Daniel Tiger says, when you feel so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. That's immensely effective in the moment. But that's not going to deal with the core of your anger. The core of your anger comes from who you are. But who are we supposed to be? 
The fruit of the Spirit speaks to that. And the fruit of the Spirit particularly speaks to our anger. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control speaks to our anger, channels it, corrects it, reorients it in Christ via the power of the Holy Spirit. In self-control, we can say, anger can easily rule me, but I will not concede to it. I will only be constrained to Christ. In gentleness... You can say a soft answer or a gentle answer turns away wrath. Recognizing that aggression is not really effective. And aggression is not Christ-like. Christ is gentle and lowly towards his people. And so we can be like that. In faithfulness, we can say that God has called me to be angry, but not to sin. And so I can walk humbly and care for my neighbor to be faithful to what God has asked of me. In goodness, we can say, I can do good for others, whether or not they deserve it, just as God has done good for me when I did not deserve it. In kindness, we can say, I recognize that all people have needs, all people have deficiencies, all people have blind spots, and all people sin, but I can be kind towards them, to win them over with kindness, just as the Lord's kindness leads us to repentance. In patience, we can say, my anger may be justified, but I can wait for justice to be done. I can wait on the Lord's vindication. In peace, we can say, I am at peace with one I have no right to be at peace with, the Lord God. Though I was an enemy, he has made peace with me, and so I can find that peace in myself to likewise make peace with others. In joy, we can say, my happiness is not found in the outcome of this situation, this conflict, whatever it is that's making angry, whether it works out or not, that's not where my happiness is. My happiness is found in Christ. In love, we can be not irritable or resentful, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13. But we can desire what is best for the other instead of vindication. We can display these fruit not because we just pursue after them like a to-do list. Be all these things, but because Christ has made us his own, because Christ has given us his spirit. As I was preparing this sermon, Elizabeth pointed out to me that both of our kids, Ransom and Elsie, I know Milo is there too, but he hasn't really displayed that much of a personality yet. But with Ransom and Elsie, both of them get angry in the same way Elizabeth and I do. Ransom's like me, and Elsie's like Elizabeth. And as a result, each of them makes us angry the most because they're most like us, right? But they learn, have learned the way to be angry and, in a certain extent, have been born that way because of whose they are. We are Christ's. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were under the wrath of God. We were children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
It's because of God's love that has made us alive together with Christ that we can ever hope to conquer anger, to use it in the way that God has intended, to be slow to anger. Because we are Christ's, and because we look to him for our vindication, and because it is by grace that we have been saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have made us alive together with Christ. That's the whole reason we even desire to come into your presence. We even desire to wrestle with the sin so present in our flesh. Father, I pray that we would dwell on that identity that we have, that we would meditate on whose we are, that we would consider what it means that we are in Christ, that we have been made alive in him, that we are new creations in him. Father, help us to recognize this and from that identity bear the fruit of your Holy Spirit in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, particularly when it comes to our anger, that we would not look at those situations that we think are important and seek vindication on our own behalf, but that we would be patient for you, that we would display these fruit in all our dealings with everyone we come across, whether they have done us right or wrong. And in so doing, that we would follow after your Son, in whose precious name we pray. Amen.